This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to transform your digital presence. So if content is king, then the digital ecosystem is the castle. But trying to figure out how to win in digital can feel like living in Castle Black from Game of Thrones, like very dark, (laughs) ominous, and daunting. So we thought we'd spend this episode talking about what you should be thinking about right now to transform your digital presence, making it feel more like the water gardens, more prosperous, inviting, and transformative. And Anne knows I'm going to make fun of her Game of Thrones reference here. She's (laughs) the queen of analogies, and I roll my eyes every single time. But in all seriousness, we've talked many times about just the overwhelming choices that are out there when it comes to digital and how this can lead to tunnel vision execution and then things like set it and forget it mentality If this is you, it's totally okay. This episode is going to be a good one for you to re-energize your digital presence and hopefully do it a little bit more thoughtfully. Yes. So today we have a special guest to join us in discussing this topic, and that is Shamir Derbisseau. He's a co-founder and MD of Smart Panda Labs. And so Shamir, would you like to introduce yourself? And more importantly, are you a Game of Thrones fan? (laughs) (laughs) I've probably seen just enough to be dangerous. (laughs) That's That's, like me. That's good enough. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but thanks to thanks to both of you uh, for having me on. Really been looking forward to this. Um, so again, I'm Shamir Duverso. I'm managing director for Smart Panda Labs. So um, an agency that I started oh probably over a little over ten years ago now with uh, a couple of partners. Um, really focused on helping enterprise companies to drive that activity that takes place right between ad and action. And so that that space that happens post-click where people really make their decisions and and decide to become customers and to stay on as customers. Um, so again, thank you for having me and excited to talk about this. I've spent many years in, in corporate trying to deal with these issues that we'll be talking about today. And it's out of that frustration that Smart Panda Labs was born. So always happy to be talking about it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a black box of digital, right? So This is going to be a really fantastic conversation, I think, very enlightening to everybody, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are struggling with just that. So with that, let's get into how to transform your digital presence. First, you need to get clear on what's working, what's not, and optimize accordingly. And in order to do this, you need to have the right data. And the right data is based on analytics that means something for your business KPIs. So the biggest mistake that businesses make is that they fall in love with whatever they're being sold, the KPIs are being sold, but they don't really take a second to think about, hmm, how are these KPIs translating into what I need for my business in order for my business to grow and thrive? Now, we'll say it's okay to test and learn, but test and learning is only effective if you know what you are measuring and the desired impact it's going to have on your business. So a couple of examples of where we've seen this kind of go awry, one is in social where everybody feels like they have to have a social presence, right? And I know this is only like a little bit of part of the digital and not probably the focus much of today, but just for context, you know, we see a lot of people who put together their, their social plans and their content calendars and they put stuff up there and they're like, we got this much engagement. And me and April look at them and we're like, 
great. What's that doing for your business? And then we get the blank stare back, like, eh, but we got this much engagement, you know? <laughs> so it feels like it's a achievement all in itself, but without tying back to something that's moving the business, you know, what's the point? And it's the same thing with ad spend, where we see a lot of businesses spending a bunch of money to generate leads because leads are very, very sexy. They're usually tend to be bigger numbers, but they don't understand, okay, what do I do with the leads once I get them? How do I nurture them? How do I convert them? How do I get them down that funnel? That The exact place where you uh, in, in Panda Labs really focuses on. So this is going to be really insightful, I think, to hear what you have to say about this. And so I, I would love just to kind of understand from you, like, Shamir, what do you guys do in order to help people diagnose what's working, what's not working? And kind of what have you seen businesses start to kind of glam onto that you're like, ah, oh, no, not so quick there? You know, a, a big challenge that we see overall is that businesses focus so much on the advertising and on the driving the traffic that they they lose a sense of really where people spend their time, right? So you spend all this money, often you know, several hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in advertising, driving traffic. People spend what, a few seconds, maybe, you know, reading an ad. The overwhelming majority of the time is spent after they make that click. But then no one wants to spend time, energy, effort, money, actually make improving what happens after they make that click, which then turns all that ad money into, into wasted money. Um, you're not getting the customer in the first place. The customers maybe you did get, it's harder for them to return and, and become a customer again. It just causes all kinds of downstream problems that can be avoided if we kind of focus on that main part. And you know, to your question, it's really about kind of saying, all right, what is that we want people to do? Has they come to the site? What's the relevant information that we want them to absorb? Um, what's a what's a value to them? Identifying those things, and then to your point, measuring those key metrics and saying, okay, well, how are we doing that? Are we making this easy? Are we putting that relevant information in front of them? Are we um, highlighting the valuable information that they can use to make a decision? Um, and that's really about getting those right metrics in place. Reports, reports, reports. People love reports. They love emailing them. They love making dashboards. They're pretty and they're colorful and, you know, decks and it, it's all it's all sexy. And then they send those things out. No one ever opens them. No one ever reads them. And they just kind of sit there. And it's like, well, what was the point of all that? As opposed to saying, what are the metrics that tie back to what executive leadership cares about? So what's the metric that I can speak to that says to executive leadership, this is how this is affecting the company's stock price. This is how this is affecting the valuation of the company. This is how this is affecting overall profitability, right? The things that people really care about because that's what C-suite, their bonuses are based on, right? Those are the things they care about. How are we measuring those metrics? And then how are we generating activities that ultimately influence those metrics? And then to your point, how we're experimenting on that, how we then doing things that are optimizing and, and iterating on those things that we're constantly growing in and moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's so important. And what I was thinking as you guys were kind of going through is following the customer journey and really understanding that versus just mm -hmm. doing the things that are shiny, right? Or new or exciting, or we want to try that because everybody else is there. And I think there's just so much distraction and it's complicated enough to try to navigate this and make those decisions. But Shamir, I mean, you're really speaking our language. We talk all the time about making decisions around your brand based on what business results you're going for. And that's exactly the same way that when you were talking about approaching the work, it's like, 
you don't just do these things to do these things for the sake of being there, making sure that they're smart and they're intentional. And then again, considering what your consumer wants. I mean, as a consumer myself, I can't tell you how many times I've been scrolling through my phone like everybody does, right? And I go to click on something that I may want to buy. And it's such a fragmented experience after that point of the ad, like you just mm-hmm. said, that I'm like, this is way too much work. And I, you know, I'm like, you know, throw in the towel, never go back to that one again, right? And all of those missed opportunities that happen when you focus too much on the vehicle of the advertisement itself, not, okay, and then when the consumer goes from there and we get that click, we have to be able to capture them as a lead in our funnel beyond that. How do we go about doing that? And I think what you said is so important all the way through that journey to what metrics are really going to matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think as marketers, what happens is we get caught in this trap where advertising is is easy. It's easy to increase spend and just say, let's spend more. Relatively speaking, it's it's easy to say, hey, let's put a new ad up. Let's get some more creative. Let's run another campaign on LinkedIn, on, on Google, on Meta, whatever the case is. And certainly Google and LinkedIn and Meta, their, their jobs is to make it very easy for us to spend more money and, and put an <laughs> yep. ad on there. So it, it becomes the solution to every problem. But then when you think about what happens after that click, that gets a lot more complicated because now it's like, okay, well, there's technical stuff involved and I've got to get IT involved and I got to get the product team involved. And, you know, it just becomes a lot, you know, murkier and messier and a, and a little bit scary. Um, so it's it's like, ah, uh, let, let's just stay away from the scary stuff. That's, that's a lot harder to do. That's just the easy stuff. Let's just throw more money at it. And I think we get caught in that cycle and that trap and it just, you know, it becomes addictive and it's just easier to do. Yeah, but I'll beg to differ. I, anybody who's been on the meta back end, I don't think can attest to anything being easy. <laughs> I mean, that is a nightmare, a nightmare. But that all aside, I think what you guys are saying is really, really informative. And I think if people are stuck, I would say start with the end in mind, right? And back it up from there. So a lot of times we start like with you guys said, like, the, the sexy channel that, you know, you want to go play on. But if you start in the end of mind said, okay, we want clients, customers, consumers to do this. So therefore we need to do this. And so how are we going to get them there? Well, we need something like this and not like get yourself more down into details or the how at that point in time, but just kind of map out as you were saying the consumer journey, but sometimes it's easier to start with the end in mind and work it back. And then you kind of see where the gaps are. And then it becomes very obvious. It's like, oh, well, we wanted them to go to this web page, and now the web page doesn't have a connection to anything <laughs> for them to go by or an easy translation to anything to go by. So it starts to kind of see it in a different way, which I think leads really nicely to the next point, which is make sure you're geared to convert. So all of that, that I just said is very, very important to consider in the way that you are setting up your digital presence, because this is the second biggest mistake people make. Say so prime the funnel. But then the funnel isn't optimized to convert, like we just said. So we see this again when we uh, when, when people are really enamored with Google ads and they get these Google ads, but then they find that this call to action they have goes to a suboptimal website, like I just said. And so they people just sit there and then that doesn't close them. And we used to talk about that all the time at P&G, which is a stop, hold, and close. So a lot of people will get the leads, which is the stopping. They'll hold them until they get to the website, but then they can't close them. So then they know that something's wrong with the system, but don't know what to go do about it. And if I was going to bring my Game of Thrones analogy here, I would say this is like when you're going to go storm the castle and you get through, you know, the drawbridge down, but you can't get through the porkless. Like it's just sitting there and it's this big, heavy iron thing and you can't move it. Right. 
Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why April and I always approach digital from a brand standpoint. I mean, I know we sound like a broken record a lot, but it is the basis and the foundation for how you develop everything. So you need to really make sure that your brand is speaking the language of your consumer, your customer, your client, so that you can streamline that effort until you can get into that castle. Because it does take a lot of effort to get past the noise that is out there in order to get through that castle. So like we said, you need to take a look at that journey. Are you satisfying their questions, concerns, skepticism with the right content at the right time, with the right story tells in the right places? This sounds like a lot, but when you can start breaking it down and just thinking about how people consume content, it starts mm -hmm. to make a lot more sense. And you can start orchestrating these things together in order for them to work cohesively and effectively in order to get these people where you want them to go. And if you can't like ask for direct feedback. So you, you know, a lot of times we'll do consumer research and that'll help us really get those clues. You can look at the clues through your digital presence. Where are people falling off? If you're getting thousands of leads in, but you're only converting like 2% of them, then that should tell you something's like wrong in that spot. So what uh, I would ask you, Shamir, is what do you have to, uh, what do you have to say about this? Like, how do you help people really optimize their conversion funnel? Similar to what you, the way you guys look at it, we we think about it a lot in terms of the customer journey. So if you think about just the beginning of that journey, right? So kind of the traditional awareness, consideration, decision, and then we kind of think, okay, for your product and for your customer, like what do you reasonably expect people to do if they're in their awareness stage? It, it's likely not going to be purchase, okay? So what do you expect them to do? Is it is it to subscribe? Is it to to look at a product page? Like what? What is the action that you reasonably expect them to take at that stage? And then the same thing, consideration. What's what's the reasonable action? And then ultimately, of course, decision is purchase. And then that way you kind of break it into digestible pieces, right? And now when you're looking at like awareness campaigns, it's like, okay, what, what are you trying to drive them to do? Well, if I can at least get them to subscribe, then I've accomplished something. Great. Then that's optimized to that. Okay, now someone has subscribed. Now, how do we move them through that consideration phase? Okay, well, we're going to nurture them. Okay, well, how do we want them interacting with these emails? You know, what, where do we want them clicking through to? What action do we want them to take? Well, if I can, you know, at least get them to, to wish list something or, or add something to their cart, th th then that's a win. Great. Okay, that's that's optimized to that. And then take it to the next piece, decision. Okay, now we've gotten people wish listing, um, adding things to their cart. What are the activities that we're engaging in to get them to go all the way through and actually hit that purchase button, right? So let's, let's break this into phases, into smaller actions, because that's what people do. Right, right. We have our impulse buys, right? There are things that we go to Amazon because we need it at the moment. And, you know, we immediately add to the cart and we buy and we check out. And, you know, those things are great. But a lot of things that we buy, you know, we need some time to make the decision. We get distracted. You know, we, you know, we decide, oh, I'll come back and look at this later. And then we don't come back and look at this later because life gets in the way. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen that's like, well, if we can get the small wins, but we can put them in the right order and get those wins to add up, that will ultimately lead to the big win. So we try to get our, our, our clients to kind of look at it that way and say, hey, let's break this into pieces. We can't hit a home run every time someone clicks on any single ad. What we can do is we get them to take a reasonable action, a reasonable step based on where they seem to indicate they are in that customer journey. You know, well, what kind of ad word is this? Okay, this is more of an awareness-based ad word. Let's consider this an awareness campaign. What's that appropriate action versus maybe this ad or this ad word, maybe retargeting ad or something. Okay, another deeper in the customer journey further along. Let's try to get you know a deeper action that gets them closer to actual conversion. 
Well, and all I'm thinking is you're going through that is patience, which is so hard. I think mm-hmm. I mean, we face the same thing with our clients. It's like, there's no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet. And it's actually even harder these days because the choices are so all over the place. And so I think the more that we can be educating and reinforcing that message of this is where they are. It's going to take time to get them here. We have to keep working on them. And then you know, I'll sound like a broken record now, but the whole idea of thinking about it through the lens of being a customer, I think also helps clients get over the hump because we get so tied into the data, right? And what the numbers say or the shiny things or whatever. And we forget that there's people at the end of this and people don't work linearly. And if they're anything like me, they don't like to be told what to do, right? (laughs) So you have to be patient and kind of cultivate and curate. And then also just the long game of you want the advocates, you want the relationship. You know, we're talking a lot here about getting them to go and do what we want them to do or buy what we want them to buy, those types of things. But the big thing or the big win is when they're going to keep coming back, right? And the only way to get to that is when you cultivate that relationship through each of these steps, you are considerate in the way you're doing it. And you're thinking about it the way that they want to hear things from you, see things from you, what touch points they want, all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think people, you know, to your point, April, kind of take a step back and kind of think like, what do I do in those situations? Like, you know, how, how do I get treated? And, and even if you if you make the analogy to Anne's point, since Anne loves illustrations, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you go in a store to buy something and that experience can go a thousand different ways. You know, you go there, you grab what you want real quick, you, you find it immediately and you, you go to go check out and the lines are just, you know, enormous. They're long, you know, they're not staffed enough and only like two lanes are open and, you know, all the machines and self-checkout are down. And you're like, you know what? I don't have time for this. And you put it down and you, and you leave because it's like, I'll come back and get this later. And, you, and then you don't come back. And you lost the sale, not because you didn't have the product, but because the experience of actually checking out and buying it was just, it wasn't worth the effort, right? Or or maybe you do decide you're gonna stand in line and you, know, you wait the time and you're like, okay, I've already invested 30 minutes into this that I can't get back. I'm gonna buy this thing. But by the time you do it, the experience was so miserable. You tell yourself, like, I'm not coming back to the store again. Like, I, I know better than to go there the first place. Like, I'm not going back there again. Now, take that. And that exact same thing happens online. How many purchases are, are being missed because the experience was poor? How many people maybe who even do purchase because the experience was so poor and frustrating are like, I'm not going back there. That, that was more work and effort than I want to spend in time in doing that. I'm going somewhere else because there are so many choices. And just kind of grounding it and saying, well, what? What do I do as a consumer? What do I do when I'm shopping either in person or, or online? That's what everyone else is doing too. I, other people are just like you. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people who have that same experience you do. And if you just take the time to kind of look at things through their lens by looking at it through your personal lens, you'll, you'll recognize, hey, this is what's happening on your website. And you may think it's great and perfect and wonderful because you know it so well and you're looking at it day in and day out. You know exactly where everything is and you know all the little tricks and, you know, holes and patches that you need to, you know, to navigate and get through things, but other people don't know that. And, you know, that frustration costs people, costs companies a lot and a lot of money. Yeah. And I think you guys made a big, a really good point that humans aren't algorithms, right? (laughs) Either I might be using algorithms to try to reach people, but they themselves are not algorithms. And I think the biggest mistake we see people make is they do try to rush the process because they're trying to get that sale in the very first connection because they want the efficiency. They want the numbers. They want to continue to move on. They have 
all these objectives that they're trying to make, you know, we, we all get that, except for the fact that it, it short circuits the opportunity to build a relationship that then pays dividends going forward too, because you're not just trying to make usually that one purchase, you're trying to make repeated purchases. You want these people to keep coming back. And that is a, a matter of gaining efficiencies, but, and so that's what actually brings your 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 cost of acquisition down and all those other numbers that make a lot of sense for growing businesses or are critical for growing businesses. So they're all very intertwined. And so if you don't think about it holistically as the ecosystem, then a lot of times these important interactions get missed. And again, the other big mistake we see people make, we're talking a lot about mistakes here, is um, that they don't end up add enough value in those interactions, right? And so the value becomes like a core piece of being able to pull people down the funnel. But if it's always about you, what you can offer, what you're doing, and you know how you know, people don't want to miss this because of how great you are, you're failing to understand the human on the other side of that connection. And in, as I say, until the world's won by robots or dragons or whatever, there's always going to be a person on the other side of the sale. So you have to really consider that in your connections. Oh, this is where it turns into a drinking game. How many references to Game of Thrones are we going to have? <laughs> is that listeners? a challenge, April? Because <laughs> I can really load it in. I'm I trying know. to be really like I edit know. myself, but I can I can do that. <laughs> Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmouts.com. S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Mouts is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmouts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. Which reads really nicely, again, into the, the third point, which is Did about- Did you say breathes? No. Like breathing fire, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> no, I said leads. But I, it, it breathes, okay, breathes fire into the next point. I, I heard breathes too. I heard breathes too, but- <laughs> Well, see, maybe I'm already in the zone and I don't even oh. know it. Okay. Scary. <laughs> But uh, the next point is diversifying your content. And this is, as we've talked about, keeping in mind that though we like, like our targets to be linear, like April said, they just aren't that way. And so a lot of times you have to have multiple pieces of content in order to satisfy where they are in the process and the questions that they would have, especially if it's an easy to answer question, or maybe it's a longer form answer. And if you think about all the ways you have to travel through the seven kingdoms, in Game of Thrones, like, I, I still don't understand how people didn't get lost back then. I mean, you watch them and they're just like traveling down a path or this open, you oh. know, field. And I mean, but it's kind of how your your digital can feel like sometimes because you don't necessarily know where everybody's going to go. This is also why I fell off from that show because I couldn't follow what was going on <laughs> and how many characters there were. I'm like, man, forget it. <laughs> but what this means then is that you have to think about your the content needs and the jobs that the content needs to do. And we have a really good episode on this about the four attributes of ROI driving content. So if you want more on what I'm about to say, go ahead and listen to that episode. But as we mentioned in that episode, content generally does one of four things. And sometimes it can do multiple things if you're really smart about how you create your content. But it's either educate and inform, inspire, entertain, and promote. So all are critical to selling, but 
you have to be strategic about when you're going to play those cards, when you're going to play that content based on the thought process of your consumer, your customer, or your client. Now, what happens many times is that people rely on the promote content, which is the big sales push, right? That's the where we're trying to, we were just talking about like trying to circumvent the whole courting process in order just to get to the big sell and try to get people to buy in right away. And that is not conducive for most people unless they're already very, very warm, unless they already know what they're looking for. So you need to really think about how you're going to break down barriers in order to brave the way for the sale. So if you're wondering what other kind of content you may need, you may want to ask yourself the following question. So do people really know why they need me? This is a really big one. A lot of people, Barons and what I said in businesses, just put that stuff out there about this is what I do. But have you really fostered that connection and that awareness that you were talking about, Shamir, of like, this is why I exist. And this is why I, you and I should have this relationship, this buy-sell relationship, because this is what we can really do for you. And if this is the case, you might need to educate or inform about your business. You might ask yourself, do people want me for my function or for my experience? If it's purely for function, you really need to consider that inspirational or entertainment-based level to really drive up the emotional integrity of what you're selling. Because really, as we've talked about a lot, people are buying the emotional impact of what you're selling. They're not just buying the thing. So remember, like all these relationships are made on an emotional level about what you can do in order to prove my life. Or you might ask yourself, do people get stuck at a particular place on the journey? We've just talked a lot about this. So maybe you need an education piece that addresses an FAQ. Or maybe you need an inspirational piece telling your stories. This is really big for founders and startup businesses. Or an entertainment piece to dramatize a benefit. You need to really figure out why they're stuck. So Samir, what is, what's your POV here? What do you think about this? No, I think 100%. I mean, we I think about it kind of in three ways, right? So I, I think about the fact that when people make a decision to say, I am going to you know, visit your, your website, however they get there, right? They're making a decision because on some level, they're trying to say, I'm making this choice. And what I need for you to do is I need you to give me enough information to, to make the decision to purchase, to buy, right? And some of that's just like, you know, get out of my way, <laughs> like make it, just make it easy to do. Easy. Yeah. Cause, right. Sure. Cause it's just like, I, I know I want this thing and I, I just, I just need to make it as smooth as possible. Again, it's just like, I don't need two lines that are, you know, each 20 people deep. I just need to be able to go out there, hit self-checkout, whatever, and walk out the store and be done with it. Cause I, I know what I want. I'm just need, you know, to be in and out with it. But of course, on top of ease of use, which I think is just like the, the fundamental kind of hierarchy of needs that's like the most basic thing just just make this easy to use as possible then we layer on top of that well okay what's relevant so what what information do i need that's relevant to the product or service that i'm engaging in and then layer on top of that then what's valuable because informa information can be relevant but it's not necessarily valuable like okay this is the right kind of information it's about this thing i'm looking at but you haven't answered the, the exact questions i have right to your point um and about what what are those questions that people are asking and are we surfacing those answers at the time and place they need them in order to make those decisions? So, you know, ease of use, that relevance of that value, and then to kind of make it just all the more complicated is that, well, it also depends on the audience of people you're speaking to, right? So you have these different, you know, whatever word you want to use, personas, audiences, segments of people that you're interacting with, you're visiting on, that are visiting your site, and what is valuable to them, what is easy to them even, what is relevant to them is going to, is, is different. It's going to change based on their own perspectives. 
And, you know, in the ideal scenario, we want to get one to one. And, you know, we probably, you know, will in the, in the future, if you watch any, you know, any sci-fi movies or shows, there's, there's always that, you know, they're, they're calling you out by name and saying what you, what you want. And we're getting pretty close to that now, but you, know, you, you want to at least kind of boil it down and say, well, what are the big groups? What are the big buckets of people that are coming and how can I create those three, four, five experiences that are relevant and valuable and easy for each of those, at least groups, right? So at least you have that, that, that foundation in place. And then of course you can begin to break those down into smaller groups and optimize and improve on that through experimentation, but at least having that foundation in place, answering those questions and understanding who you're answering those questions for um, is going to be a great place for companies to be able to kind of start to build that foundation and then that framework to be able to iterate on that foundation and say, how do we constantly improve on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a point well taken. This point could really be diversify your content according to your target audiences. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and I'm sure people are listening are like, oh, geez, I can't even get one of them down. What am I supposed to do? You know, which is why we are all here. So here to help as needed. But I do think it's really important. And I think your grocery analogy, and sorry, Anne, one with the grocery one, is There's super- There's no groceries in Game of Thrones. It's super, <laughs> uh, super telepathic because- I think it does exemplify the point we're trying to make here and where people are different places on their journeys, right? So if I'm a Kroger shopper and I am and I know where everything is and I want to buzz in and pick up the one thing that I'm out of, that's where I am on the journey. If I'm someone that's doing my entire trip for the week, I don't want to self-check out because I have 80 items. And so I'm going to stand in that line. But I also don't want to stand in the line with 15 other people. I want those people that have eight items to go do themselves, right? So you're kind of trying to choreograph the entire thing across the different needs based on the consumer. And so again, that point about taking it from that perspective versus what you want to push out there and identifying why people are coming to you and also knowing that the reasons they're coming, depending on which audience they fall in, are going to be different. And you talked about the personas and we do a ton of work in that space Mm -hmm. as well. It's one of those strategic components of your brand that I think sometimes companies, again, think they know or they've heard an anecdote or they like this one story. And so then they go and chase that and it's disproportionate to the audiences that actually are loyal to them or do keep coming back or they're missing somebody entirely. So making sure that, yes, you're diversifying the content, but you're also doing it according to what each of the individual audiences are looking for. Mm -hmm. I think the point you guys make about the importance of diversification of the content is great because, you know, having that diversified content casts a, a pretty wide net. But the thing is, because of the, the abilities to measure, right, you you can kind of see, okay, well, this group of people is really interacting with this content. And, and there seems to be a correlation here between them interacting with this content and them converting, becoming a customer. Whereas this other subset of people, if they seem to gravitate toward this content, and there seems to be a correlation there for them to interact and then convert, right? So now now all, the, all of a sudden you're understanding that, hey, we, we put all this out here, but certain elements are resonating with certain groups of people. And now you can begin to kind of make sense of it, right? So you, you, again, that's just your starting point, but now you're getting data and you're using the data to say, okay, I, I can be smarter about this now because I'm, I'm beginning to understand and see, okay, these people need this piece, but these people need th- this piece of content. And that's, that's the beauty of the diversification is that it allows you to begin to get the data that it's meaningful and you can use to make those kind of decisions. Yeah, I love that. And I think that really helps to 
kind of formalize a structure because I think where a lot of people sometimes get stuck because they're trying to serve too many masters, right? They're trying to reach everybody and they just don't know how to centralize the core of the offering, the message, the place where everybody lands into something that feels comprehensive enough to be viable for the business, but focused and direct enough that people actually know who you are and, and why they should want you and how you differentiate, which is the core parts of the brand. So I think what the the upfront does, like the, the Google AdWords, for example, and we talked about a lot about the advertising, is it allows you to give the different ways in that will appeal to the different groups, but they're all coming to a centralized location. So a lot of times people get stuck and they're like, oh, I have to have different like landing mm. pages for different people. I'm like, no, you don't need to have a different landing page for different people or a different website for different people or whatever. It's the way that you're engaging them that needs to be different. The way that they are coming into you or becoming aware of you or needing you look, may look different. I mean, I worked on you know, the Tide brand forever and at the core, Tide's a laundry detergent that works really, really well. But the reasons why people want it can be different. When you have little kids, you get a lot of stains. You want the stains to come out. As you get older, you might not have as many stains, but you want your clothes to look good and, and last longer. So that benefit, that core benefit of them, the way that Tide performs is the same, but the way, the emotional way in that people really gravitate towards and makes your product the one for them or your service or however you're formulating your offering is based on what they need in order for their lives to be better. Yes. So if you're thinking about it like that, that might help to kind of streamline and not get your, you guys and you guys, the listeners all kind of bent out of shape about where do you go with this? Right. Yes. So mm -hmm. CPG is a great, a super great example because they, they tend to do such a good job of, of hitting those cues to the point where, and I'm sure you guys, because that, that's your world, that's your background. You can see, I'm sure when you see a you know a commercial for a brand like that, you're like, okay, that commercial is for X. Like that that commercial, that that was for moms. Like that one's for, you know, that's for this. Yes. Really yep. that, that's, you know, that's for this this demographic group, right? You you can see it because it's like, they're, they're trying to speak to everyone, but not with a singular message, right? They're just, they're going through different doors because they know different people need to hear and resonate things in different ways. And they're, they're trying to get each of us to, to see ourselves in that spot, right? I want to see myself as the person using this product. And you're trying to basically mirror, right? And help me depict myself, my ideal self using this product. And they just do that such a great job. I think that's just a great analogy to use in terms of what we try to do and translate to digital. Right. And it works for B2B too. So if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not a CPG company, it's the same way with your B2B services. You orchestrate it the same way. Your messaging may be different, but you orchestrate it the same way. Yeah. Yep. So it'd be kind of like if you can't get through the drawbridge, you might scale the wall or you might get in one of those little catapults that they use and they like shoot you over the wall. Right. Okay. You All right. Moving along. You challenge number me. four. Let's Make go. Number four. All right. <laughs> Number four for how to transform your digital presence is to prioritize the experience. And we've talked a lot about this, but let's put a, a much finer point on this. And that really the, the part of this or the big part of this is really this is where your differentiator is in your industry, right? The experience that you create, the emotional connection you create, the way that you improve people's lives, all of those things that we were just saying is why your customers will continue to buy from you. And so creating that relationship has to be paramount because like we said, we're all humans. Like I said, it, this doesn't matter if you're B2B or you're B2C. If you can tap into that emotional value you provide, you're exponentially going to increase your chances of making a sale, especially in the digital world would tend to be a little bit cool, like Castle Black, right? 
And this is the reason, the reason why that this is true is because 90% of decisions are made emotionally. And a lot of times I'll say that and everybody's like, what? No way. And I'm like, next time you, I mean, anything, just go to the grocery store. So we use the grocery store. Look across like any product that you don't normally buy, just like by rote, you know, where I just like, oh, I just buy this and I just put it in my, in my cart and think about where the first reaction come from. The first reaction always comes from somewhere in the heart center where you're like, oh, I really want that. Then the brain kicks in and says, oh, no, you can't have that. That has too many calories. <laughs> oh, no, you can't have that. That's too expensive. Oh, no. So your brain starts rationalizing that. But the decision for wanting it comes right there from your heart center. So think about that then the next time you're in a store or anytime you're buying something. And I think you're going to see that that is the case. But what you need to do, though, is you're kind of thinking about how you're going to prioritize your experience is you really need to understand why your consumer, your, your, your customer, your client target wants to engage with you. And then you take that and then you start to create that into your digital campaigns. So, and this all starts in the very same place, whether you're B2C or B2B, with where the common point of angst is, right? So what are they feeling that's that tension that's kind of creating this anxiety that makes life not as good as it could be? So if it's a product, it's really about getting over that function, like I just talked about from a tie standpoint, and think about what that function does that betters their life. So if it makes sure that your kid shows up and he's the clean kid and you're not, or you're not replacing the clothes all the time, which costs a lot of money, think about what that emotional benefit is and use that as the focus for a lot of your digital marketing. It's a service. It's articulating what sometimes we call the, the, the commonalities, which is, you know, just the table stakes things are like excellent service. Like we hear this all the time as People in B2Bs will say this is a differentiator. It's not a differentiator unless you can actually differentiate it. So what? why do you have excellent customer service? What do you do that nobody else does? And then from a B2B standpoint, it's really understanding your clients better or your customers better in a way that you can really figure out what that point of angst is. And then your selling point becomes not the, necessarily the widget, because a lot of times that's what we hear from B2Bs. I just sell this widget or whatnot. What, how important is that going to be? Well, the importance is in how you make them feel as a result of selling that widget. And that becomes your, your differentiating factor and the experience that they need and why that they stay with you. So what you need to do then is you need to craft your copy and visuals to really exemplify this and leverage this throughout all your channels where your target's going to be looking so that you can really showcase how you're the business for them. So Shamir, what do you think about this? I think that's hundred percent true. And I think, you know, the beauty of digital is that you can really begin to tell a story with that, right? So it may start with the ad and the campaign that you're saying, and it's, as you mentioned, based on this emotional trigger, based on this particular problem you're solving or how you're trying to make this person's life a little bit better. And then you can carry that through to the website, um, how you're personalizing the website based on that you know the person came from this ad. So, okay, you know what kind of drove them, what the creative was, what the messaging was. I can now kind of leverage that and personalize the site to, to mirror that throughout that experience. And then if I get the person to subscribe, I can now carry that through to the, to the email messaging that's going through as well, right? I can store that information in CRM based on when they opt in, and then I can carry that through to the email messaging. So I can, I can continue to reiterate that story, right? I can continue to kind of hit those same emotional triggers all through their customer journey. Again, knowing people don't make a decision in a moment, but we're still hitting on those same triggers all throughout, right? And that's just helping them get over those humps and be just that much more comfortable with that ultimately emotional decision because you've been hitting those emotional triggers in several different ways at several different times over the course of the days or the weeks it takes them to make that decision. So 
I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, again, going back to CPG, you know, Tide, they may have just the commercials to be able to kind of make that emotional impact. You know, I'm sure they try to do it in the design of the box, but there's only so much you're going to do with a box in a grocery store. But with digital, you have so many more opportunities to be able to continue to kind of hit that in, in, in many different angles and different ways um, throughout that experience that it can really, as you mentioned, really bring about retention in terms of saying, I'm going to keep this person as a customer and then ultimately, hopefully create advocacy, right? Now they're now they're really a fan of yours, right? And they're talking about you on social media. They're talking about you to their friends and they're helping to generate more new customers. Yeah, I think the experience allows you to be more top of mind on a regular basis and continue kind of the dialogue and the relationship. I mean, your point is well taken about the commercials. You know, we talk a lot on the show about the fact that that used to be all you had, mm -hmm. you know, and then we had, you know, you layer in some other stuff like print and billboards, but the experience was fragmented because it didn't follow the natural path of our lives as consumers. And so now we have that opportunity and I think it has opened so many doors and it presents a way to very meaningfully have that relationship back and forth, quite frankly, all of the time, right? And not to say, I mean, we know you're not thinking about your tide every minute of every day. Mike Jure was in the spirits industry and, you know, said, I know people aren't always waking up thinking about me, but I think that the point of this is that we have the opportunity to do it in a much more meaningful way than ever before. And so doing that allows you to stand out from the competition in a really big way. And the other thing you said about being a commodity, and I mean, we hear that back all the time. Well, I only sell X, right? you know, and we're like, yeah, but at the end of the day, Nike sells shoes right? Tide sell yeah. detergent. They're all commodities. If that's the mindset that you take and you don't think about it through the lens of the brand and the consumer experience, which arguably, if you take that approach, especially in the digital world, you're dead in the water from the start. Because as we've said already on this episode, there are so many more options out there and so many different ways to find them that if you don't compel the consumer, then they are going to immediately opt out and not come back. Mm-hmm. When I think about experiences, I always think of a uh, of Chick Fil A. You guys have Chick Fil A. Out oh your way? yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you know, okay, you you might like it better than you know a chicken sandwich or whatever at another restaurant, and that, that's all fine. But I would I would argue my emotional driver for going to Chick Fil A is I know the experience is going to be significantly better than ninety nine percent of the other fast food places I could possibly go to. Like, it's a much higher likelihood they can get my order right. They're going to be competent. Like they're going to be nice. It's going to be fast. Like, like I don't want to deal with the nonsense anywhere else. And I, I can see a line that is long or, or longer at Chick-fil-A than it is at maybe another fast food place next door. But I still know I'm going to get the Chick-fil-A line faster than I will next door because they have their stuff together, right? It's about the experience, right? It's, it's even to some degree less about the food as much as it is the experience that I'm getting there. And again, that can be translated obviously to, to the online. The experience can be such a huge driver, um, and to, to both your points, such a huge point of differentiation for for so many brands out there. It's a chicken sandwich; it's chicken. Like you know, this isn't complicated. <laughs> it's chicken, but the experience is the differentiator. And all I have to do is say the name of, and the experience, that emotional reaction, automatically comes out because they've done such a good job of delivering on that experience. Uh, Shamir, I was going to ask you: Do you have any? Best in class examples for brands or businesses have totally mastered the digital presence that if any of our listeners wanted to kind of go back and 
kind of engineer it and, and kind of see and maybe the, some of the clients that you worked on to demonstrate any of your work? It's a lot of the newer brands that I think do a, a good job of that. And the, the ones I think that were born in the digital space um, that do a really good job of that. So like I get my razors through Harry's, um, you know, that's a brand uh, like, you know, I think about like native, like a lot of those brands that were kind of born in the world of digital, I think they didn't have the morass of kind of the, the legacy history of so many enterprise companies that they had to kind of dig through or are still digging through to kind of figure out how to make, you know, this system or this person talk to this, this other system and this other person to make things happen to create a good experience for the customers. So I think what, because they had the advantage of being able to build things from the ground up, they can build a much cleaner, smoother experience that just ends up um, delivering much better for people. So I think about just, just in general, like brands like that, some of those kind of newer kind of digital born brands, I think are, are always a good place to start because they tend to have a much smoother experience because it, it's it's been more straightforward for them to be able to create that experience. And of course, it's not to say enterprise companies or, or legacy companies can't do that. It's just a matter of saying, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And I think, I can't remember, one of you made that point at the very beginning of our conversation, like start with what, what is it you're trying to reach and what is it you're trying to accomplish? And then it's a matter of kind of creating that roadmap of like, well, how do we get there? Well, in order to do that, we need to do this. Okay, great. And what do we need to do before that? Well, then we do this, right? And you kind of work your way. And now you're just creating that roadmap that gets you to that ultimate destination. Yeah, and that's a built-in business model too. Like their business model is really focused on the digital ecosystem. And, you know, even if you have a a, a retail leg of whatever you're you're selling or it's showing up in a different format than just a digital presence, Designing first for digital does have a different mentality and it does it does show up differently. I have to totally agree with you on that. Then for these enterprise brands who have traditionally been through different channels and now trying to hop on that that train because the mindset's different. The way that they approach how to sell is different. And so you almost have to kind of retrain the mind to think more in that digitally conducive ease of access, all of these things that you know, the digital kind of mandates, you have to almost retrain your mind to think like that versus saying, well, I'm just going to take my retail channel. I'm going to basically make it an e-commerce channel on digital, right? So it's a totally different mindset. So I think those are really great examples, but um, you can continue to use native, but you have to switch from Harry's. That's my only thing. So it's- <laughs> Coming Harry. from Procter and Gamble, she can't support Harry's. Oh, I, <laughs> I was like, "Uh oh, what, what don't I know?" I <laughs> nah, I've been out long enough. You can use whatever you like. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then, our next segment is really to turn it over to our guest as a brand business who's really leveraging their marketing smarts. And Shmir, this is your opportunity just to put a bow on what we've said. If there's anything that we forgot or that you want to specifically mention, of course, tell everybody where they can find you and how to best leverage you. No, I mean, thanks again for the conversation. It's been great. Um, just great to talk about how important it is to focus on that experience, um, not, to, not to lose sight of that. It may be challenging. It may be tough to kind of figure out how to make these things happen, happen but these are customer expectations and people have so many choices today and it's so much easier to, to make those choices than it was so much more than it was 10 years ago, never mind 20 or 30 years ago, where you were kind of stuck. You know, you, you kind of had maybe the one department store in town or the couple, and that's where you had to go. And the salesperson in that department store, that's who you had to trust for your information. And that was it. And that was that. And that's not the world we live in today. 
So just being able to adapt and say, this is the world we live in today. This is what we have to do. It's much more complicated than just the advertising. It's it's what happens after that that really delivers both in the short term and the long term, um, and acquiring and retaining customers and and reducing customer acquisition costs and driving lifetime value. Um, and that if people really focus in that, if they invested in that the same way they invested in the advertising that drives people there, they would see their businesses transform. I mean, it would be it would be a transformative experience and. To me, to us at Smart Panda Labs, that's really what digital transformation is about. It's about empowering those kinds of experiences that you that you want your your digital customers to to be able to have. So, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for allowing me to talk a little bit about Smart Panda Labs and, and what we do. And certainly, people can visit us at smartpandalabs.com, or they can follow me on, on LinkedIn if they'd like to. I would probably argue they will not find another Shamir Duverso on LinkedIn, so it should be pretty easy to find me. It shouldn't be an issue there. No, and thanks again. Awesome. All right. So let's just recap how to transform your digital presence. First, get clear on what's working, what's not, and optimize accordingly. In order to do this, you need the right data and what success looks like for your business. Second, make sure you're geared to convert. Take a look at your digital consumer customer client's journey. Are you satisfying their questions, concerns, skepticism with the right content at the right time, with the right stories in the right place, which is also to what Shamir was just saying about that, that middle part. Are you really focusing on that middle part? Third is diversify your content. Consider whether you need to educate, inform, inspire, entertain, promote in order to close your target. And finally, prioritize the experience. The biggest marketing industry differentiator is the experience people have when engaging with you. Leverage this in your digital campaigns. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.